Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Greetings to everyone who realizes that you can't do anything about crime unless you go after proliferation of guns. Greetings to everyone who realizes you can't really do anything about inflation until you go after corporate greed. Greetings to everyone who realizes you won't get the abortion rate down unless you start prioritizing access to birth control, reducing poverty, and of course, sex ed. And greetings to everyone out there who still believes in a quaint idea known as democracy. One week to go, folks. One week to go, and then the midterms are behind us. And remember, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, tell me if I'm wrong. If Kevin McCarthy winds up taking the speaker's gavel, then the worst period of his life has begun, and we get to stop and smell the train wreck every single day. But let's just assume that the polls are wrong, because they tend to be. Let's just assume the Democrats will keep the Senate, and who knows, maybe voter turnout will be higher than the media wants you to believe one week to go. We want to know what you think. Great show tonight. The great April Ryan will be joining us. Now, I've admired Ms. Ryan forever for her work uh, as a journalist. And I got to tell you, her new book, it's really, really moving. She, of course, became internationally famous because Donald Trump hates and fears black women and had to go ahead and berate her in the middle of press conferences and badmouth her behind her back. <laughs> He's just doing what he does. But she's got a beautiful new book right now called Black Women Will Save the World, an anthem where she profiles several black women political leaders in the U.S. like Shirley Chisholm, Stacey Abrams, Keisha Lance Bottoms, Kamala Harris, and tells her own story, focusing on the sacrifices paid by black women, the bias and discrimination that black women have had to face, both for gender and race. I love April Ryan. I think she's great. I'm thrilled to have her with us. Also... The Reverend Barry Lynn, former executive director of Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. The Reverend is the real deal. He's one of our favorites, and we wanted to have him on before the midterms to talk about what we're facing and what the Supreme Court is facing as well. As always, Chris Hauselt is our executive producer. He is heroic and stalwart. He's running this thing out of South Carolina. The iconic, the beautiful, the brilliant, and the patient 
Thea Harper, because she puts up with the trifling ways of Chris and me. She's coming at you from Brooklyn. I'm here in Manhattan all night long taking your calls. Our number is 866-997-4748. Today was a really good day. We working nonstop. I got to go to the Howard Stern Tower once again. Marlo Thomas came in to do an interview. She has a new film out, and she's never done the show, and she's been in everything, worked with everybody. It's a really amazing conversation. We did some great pre-tapes today. We have a lot to get to. And of course, we want to hear from you guys all night long. There is a lot going on in the news that we have to address today. Paul Pelosi's home invader. That's what the media call the attempted assassin of Nancy Pelosi. He pled not guilty to charges of attempted murder, burglary, assault, false imprisonment and attempted kidnapping in his first of many court appearances today. Also, truckers in support of Jair Bolsonaro have created miles-long traffic jams in major cities throughout the country. He hasn't actually said, the voted-out president of Brazil, that he will concede, but he has said he will begin a transition of power to the election winner. It's incredibly inspiring. And Elon Musk tweeted out an apparent plan to offer Twitter's blue tier of service to include a verified account to users for $8 a month. I want to know what you guys think about that. He came out and said, how about if you guys pay $20 a month? And Stephen King berated him. So today he came out and said, Twitter's current lords and peasants, this is Elon Musk, Twitter's current lords and peasants system for who has or doesn't have a blue check mark is bullshit. Power to the people. Blue for $8 a month. <laughs> Elon, let that sink in. You're talking about lords and peasants and how it's bullshit for who has a blue check mark and who doesn't. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to make it $8 a month for the lords who can afford it. You peasants who can't, well, I just, I just don't even understand. It's, it's like he's burning down a mob restaurant for the insurance money. As Tom Petty said in The Last DJ, as we celebrate mediocrity, all the boys upstairs want to see how much you'll pay for what you used to get for free. <laughs> Come on in, pay $8 a month to get what you've had for free for the last 15 years. Yeah, good times. I'm John Fugelsang. I'm thrilled to be here with you. We have a lot of ground to cover. Let's do a show. The House Ways and Means Committee. Turns out they're not going to get Donald Trump's tax returns this week as they had planned on. You remember those, right? Donald Trump's refusal to release his tax returns during the first time he ran for president and lost the popular vote. Um, Donald Trump promised the American people that he would release his tax returns in 2011. And then he promised it again in 2014. Uh, he promised it again in 2015. And then again in 2016. He lied every time. It's 11 years of lies. He claims he's a billionaire, but he can't release his tax returns because he's being audited for a decade. Nixon was somehow able to release his taxes while he was under audit. But Trump, I, I, I don't know, six years and a couple of protracted legal battles later, we still don't know how he makes his money and who he makes his money from. Might not matter, right? He's suing Deutsche Bank to keep his finances hidden. He sued the New York Attorney General so America can't find out where he gets his money from and who he gets his money from. And again, he wants to show his tax returns, but uh, he's powerless. It's sort of like his health care plan he promised four years ago, remember? But you have to wait till after 2020 to see what it is. Democrats on the House Ways and Means Committee came very close to getting these tax returns last week. Now the fight's going to drag out a few more days. It could still just lead to a total dead end. Today, Chief Justice John Roberts, 
who really cares about you believing that he's an independent originalist jurist who is not a meat puppet of fascists, but thinks for himself and he's wearing his big boy black dress. He put a temporary hold on the Treasury Department's handover of Trump's tax returns to the House committee. Again, we've never had a president in the history of this country who's tried this hard to hide where he gets his money from and who he gets his money from. But John Roberts wants to give the Supreme Court more time to review Trump's emergency appeal, which is asking him to block it completely. This is Chief Justice John Roberts, the one who's so concerned that the high court's legitimacy might somehow be in question. He blocked the release of Trump's tax returns to the House Ways and Means Committee, but only until after the midterms. Yeah, it's like they're all wagging their junk at Lady Justice. He he is delaying a final decision until the 10th of November. This is the highest court in our country, and they are running interference for the man who provoked a terrorist attack on our Capitol. These records would have been handed over to the Ways and Means Committee as early as Thursday. And John Roberts is the justice who is designated to hear emergency orders from the court. He put the release on hold and he called for a response from the committee by noon on Thursday. This is John Roberts who will not demand that Clarence Thomas recuse himself from any cases pertaining to January 6th. Clarence Thomas, who has made a mockery of the Supreme Court. And John Roberts, not bothered by him. Now, I know. Trump's tax returns. My God, how ancient is that? It's taken kind of a backseat to the high profile investigations of the January 6th terrorist attack. And of course, the Trump organization's criminality in the state of New York and Donald Trump's uh, election fraud in the state of Georgia and the multiple rape and sexual battery cases against him. House Democrats were counting on getting these records. People want to see what the tax records might reveal especially because his businesses are being investigated right now. What is Donald Trump's argument? He says he shouldn't have to ever release them. And again, he promised to release them in 2011, 14, 2015, and 2016. Uh, But the committee is politically motivated in trying to get his records. This Donald Trump, who paid $25 million for fraud with Trump University, played $2 million for fraud with his charity, the failed airlines, the failed casino, multiple bankruptcies, the guy who mentored Michael Cohen, God bless, and other convicted felons who lied about his tax returns to get loans in the past, who paid off board stars and lied to everyone who supports him about it. The one impeached two times, that one, yeah. Donald Trump didn't pay federal taxes. Donald Trump committed tax fraud to avoid paying the taxes you paid. Donald Trump, who has now joined the chorus of right-wing lunatic amoral teabags, who are sharing baseless conspiracy theories about the assassination attempt on Nancy Pelosi and her husband, Paul Pelosi. He was on uh, the Chris Stiegel radio show today in Philly, and Trump said it was a sad situation. But then he said, wow, it's weird things going on in that household in the last couple of weeks. Probably you and I are better off not talking about it. The glass, it seems, was broken from the inside to the out, so it wasn't a break-in, it was a break-out. I don't know, you hear the same things I do. (sighs) The would-be assailant told police he broke a glass door with a hammer to get in. There's no rumors. There's no theories. There's only the facts. (laughs) So that Donald Trump, what might his return show us? Well, that he paid next to nothing in federal taxes, despite the fact that he's a billionaire. In 2020, the New York Times reported he paid no federal taxes in 10 out of 15 years. And in 2016 and 2017, while serving as president, this billionaire paid only $750 in federal taxes. Again, 
They are wagging their tiny, pimply junk at history, at Lady Justice, at the Constitution, at law and order, and at your vote. So what's going to happen? What can they do? The Supreme Court is considering whether they want to intervene in this case. If they do, there might be no final decision until the start of the next Congress in January. And if the GOP does take control of the House, they would end the records request and they would grant Donald Trump's wish of never having to fulfill his promise he's been making for 11 years. And his tax returns can be kept secret. Speaking of keeping things secret, Lindsey Graham, um, he had a bad day. He's reached the end of the road in his all-too-public all too desperate attempt to avoid testifying before a Georgia grand jury. They're having that investigation into the effort of Donald Trump and other people like Lindsey Graham, who we should point out doesn't live in Georgia. Uh, They tried to overturn that state's 2020 election results. Lindsey Graham acted like a good prison punk as his prison master, Don Wood, and he called the Georgia Secretary of State and tried to have them lie and corrupt the results. He's been trying to avoid it for a while. Clarence Thomas gave him a stay last week, but the Supreme Court today denied his bid to avoid testifying. So, Lindsay, you're up. He will now be questioned in Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis's probe. There were no recorded dissents on this ruling. Again, just last week, Clarence Thomas put a temporary hold on Graham's testimony, just like John Roberts did today. So it might just be a temporary thing. Graham, of course, was pleading with Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to overturn the election because he was told to do so by his master, Donald Trump. They have not yet set the date for Lindsey Graham to speak in front of the grand jury, but we can all look forward to Lindsey Graham having the stand there openly, put his hands on a Bible and tell the truth. (laughs) So that was the day in the Supreme Court where Chief Justice John Roberts managed to temporarily obstruct justice itself. Jesus, who needs... Michael Cohen, when you have a fixer like this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Is Ms. Ryan uh, in the wings? Do we have our, our guest all set up? I'm so thrilled about it. I have been so looking forward to speaking with April Ryan um, and about her really wonderful new book. We have to remember, Donald Trump called Kamala Harris uh, a monster. He said Maxine Waters had a low IQ. He said Ilhan Omar was out of control and should go back where she came from. Uh, he called Stacey Abrams unqualified. He called Abby Phillip stupid. He called Yamiche Alcindor a racist, called Frederica Wilson wacky. And um, maybe best of all, he called April Ryan nasty and a loser. Who could have known at the time that that would be an historic compliment? 
April Ryan began covering the White House for American Urban Radio Networks in 1997, and she has held that beat proudly ever since, a black woman journalist in the White House press corps that historically has not had a lot of black women journalists. And after 25 years covering five presidencies, that exchange that you just heard with Donald Trump in November of 2018 motivated her to change the narrative for all black women. Her deeply inspiring new book is out, and it's called Black Women Will Save the World, an Anthem. It is a great pleasure to welcome April Ryan to SiriusXM. Hello. I'm here. Thanks for having me. It's so good to be with you. It's so good to have you with us. I love this book. I, I love that you wrote it, and it's really a thrilled to thank you for your service in the White House during all those dark years when you so bravely committed the act of journalism time and time again. <laughs> thank you. I so bravely committed the act of journalism. That's all I knew what to do. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, I, I, I love this book because I think it, it really tells the story. That episode we just heard is, is a metaphor in many ways for the experience of, of black women in this country. You, you, you do the right thing. You do your job. You do it well. You ask the right questions. You get knocked down. And it made you stronger. And it made you better at what you do than the mediocre white men who knocked you down. Did that book inspire? I mean, was this, was this book inspired by that day and the treatment you oh, faced this, at the hands of the president? This book has been long in coming, but yes, it was inspired by not just that day, but the many days of him and others who've diminished and discredited black women who are just going along doing the work to love the community, to uplift the community. Um, it's partly that, and it's and also that it's long overdue, and, and we're celebrating in a time with Ketanji Brown-Jackson being in the Supreme Court Kamala Harris being vice president, Karine Jean-Pierre being press secretary. And this is mm -hmm. just in the government. Let's talk about just the average everyday woman who keeps it going. Please. And yeah, so it's a celebration, but also an effort and an attempt to change the nasty, ugly narrative that was laid on black women in this country by the president of the United States. Believe that. I can't believe that. Mm hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it, it seems like I began the segment by going through all the different epithets he had hurled at different black women, uh, with the exception of it. Michelle Obama, who I think I think he was just terrified of Michelle Obama. But it was just consistently incredible month after month, year after year, the contempt this man had for black women who, let's face it, they don't just save democracy. They save capitalism and keep this economy running. And the fear, the contempt he had for women just doing their job. I mean, it baffled me. I've always wanted to ask if being so close to it in the press room all those years gave you any insights as to why he is so threatened by strong black women. I hate to even, you know, you want to know why he's threatened by strong black women? I mean, I have my own theories, but I'm, I'm I have mine too. But, you know, on the outside, you're the president of the United States. You shouldn't be scared of anyone unless you have insecurities about the fact that you shouldn't be in the job, you know, let alone being able to do the job competently. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. But no, here's one reason why I Please. know for sure. He wasn't focused on the black community and the strength of the black community happens to be it's women that have been vilified through time, yes. you know? Yeah. And, you know, Shirley Chisholm said, many decades ago 
being black and a woman is a double whammy. And Donald Trump, with Donald Trump as president, it was not only a double, it was like a quadruple whammy. Yeah. Um, and in my book, I call it misogynoir. Well, I give it that term through someone else who called it that. But either way you put it, being black and a woman to Donald Trump was was not a good thing. I'm so glad you mentioned Shirley Chisholm. Um, she was a hero of my dad, and growing up, she was a, oh. an honored figure in my house. And and you yeah. chronicle, you know, the double whammy that so many black women in our politics have had to face, and how they have risen above it, and in some cases, risen higher because of it. Shirley Chisholm yes. is, of course, one of the women you profile, and I was very curious, how did you pick the women that you wanted to focus on in this book? All my life, my mother used to talk about Shirley Chisholm. Me you too. know. And I didn't realize it was such a close connection to Shirley Chisholm. Um, my cousin, uh, who is former Congressman Ed Towns, Shirley Chisholm endorsed him for her congressional seat in Brooklyn, you know, and but not just because of that close connection, because of who she was to American politics, who she was to this nation, to black women, to women. She was a transformative figure. Mm -hmm. And also, not only that, her likeness in the Capitol. And that's one of the things, too. When everything else was desecrated, to include the John Lewis Memorial, yes, her picture still stood untouched. They hated any symbol of civil rights, race, but hers stood untouched. And I found that so interesting. I always found it so inspiring that she wasn't just the first woman of, of color to serve in Congress, but that she represented Brooklyn, that she came from Bedford-Stuyvesant for seven terms. And and that, to me, just my father was from Brooklyn, and so she was venerated in my home. But it just showed the toughness she had and the toughness that she had to keep finding in herself. Oh, my goodness. To be a woman in that time, to be a black woman and then come from the state and the city of New York. <laughs> mm -hmm. Woo, you had to be a tough sister. And she didn't have much. She didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have, you know, the kind of staffing. She had people like a young Al Sharpton. Um, she called him Alfred. She had a young Barbara Lee, who's now Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Mm -hmm. She had a young Ed Towns. Um, she had so many people who believed in the message, who were not these major staffers and, and part of major major parts of a party, but these young people who believed in change. Yes. And that's who she was and that's who she still is for many of us who still hear her speaking, even though she's gone. You know, she talked about everything and she was so clear with it. And it was just so matter of fact, as if like, don't you understand? This is how it is. This is what it is. Yeah. And it's just amazing that Today, I can celebrate her along with others. I mean, she is one of the founding mothers for black women, you know, mm -hmm. for this country. If you look to founding mothers, she is our found one of our founding mothers, to be very plain. Yeah. And so many women, not just black women, but women stand on her shoulders for her truth, her rise in spite of. Because politics is male-dominated. 
It was not built for someone who looked and sounded like Shirley Chisholm. Yeah. In many ways, it's the greatest political legacy you can imagine. I mean, she she has improved the lives of people who might never even learn her name. And right. you you interview so many other prominent women of color in the book, in, including Vice President Harris. I, I've been dying to ask you, um, what did you learn, if anything, ab- about her that you didn't know before when you sat down? I, I'm, I'm among those who wish that uh, Vice President Harris was deployed in, in different ways and that we had her being more of a figure in our media right now. So I was very glad that you interviewed her for the book. Did, did you learn anything about her you didn't know before? Well, there's a story in the book. It's more not what I learned about her, but what I learned about the vice president and the president together when they were running. And the story in the book is how Joe Biden was very hurt, very hurt after Kamala Harris challenged him. Then Senator Kamala Harris challenged him on issues of uh, Busing. busing. Yeah, busing. And I mean... Just months later, I don't even, it was not that long later at the uh, NAACP presidential forum that I had both of them uh, on the stage talking about, you know, their plans for the United States if they were president. Joe Biden, after he finished with me, said, you know my heart, you know my heart. It was caught on a hot mic. I was like, oh my gosh. And then when we went backstage, you know my heart, you know we supported her, you know uh, Bo did this and they were friends and I just can't believe. He just kept going on and on and on. And I just knew that those two were never going to be close. And then look at what happened. I don't know if it was a Damascus moment or what, but those two got together and I believe that she pushed him further than he had planned to go on matters of race. Yeah, I, I completely do believe, agree. I do believe that encounter pushed him to go further because he was not expected to do more than just a black Supreme Court nominee. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got black women showcase black women who have the pedigree to be in that space. It's not window dressing. Yeah. You also discuss in the book the mistreatment that you yourself endured as a journalist and and all the negative effects of all the different hostilities directed towards you and, and other black women leaders it's very painful i mean you go through the challenges you faced versus a single mom and then one of the only black women ever in the dc press corps but under trump the death threats and the harassment you get you reveal that it took a toll on you physically Oh, yeah, it took a toll, and it's still taking a toll. John, I have a standing appointment every Tuesday at 8.15 with a therapist because that residue. Think about it. A United States president and his minions coming after you all for asking questions about a community that's underserved with the highest numbers of negatives in almost every category. They told me I was everything but a child of God. Yep. And I could not believe them. I I could not afford to believe any of that. And then... As I'm trying to rationalize it, my hair starts falling out. And if you look on the back of the book, that is my hair. I had to work to get my hair back. Wow. Um, John, I mean, I've had the FBI at my home. I've had, you know, uh, the bomb squad at my home. I had a Caesar Sayoc bomb before the Caesar Sayoc bombs came out. And here's the thing, before everybody knew, you know, that I had it, when when the Obamas and all of them were getting it, I had already had it. Yeah. So... Yeah, and it is terrible. So here's the thing. 
this moment right now with Paul Pelosi, mm-hmm. that's very, it rings very real to me. Um, yeah. And it's triggering for many of us. Now everybody's scrambling to secure people. They should have been, sc- look, I could have told you, you know, be careful because we are in a whole new climate. We're in a whole new day where if someone doesn't like you or like what you say, it's this ideology versus everyone else. That's right. It's religious fundamentalism and destroying someone else is acceptable. Hurting someone as badly as you can is acceptable if you believe that you're right and they're wrong. And it doesn't it's matter what the Bible okay. says, what the Constitution says. It's just pure hatred we're dealing with. Pure hatred. And you can't stand on lies and hatred. That's the part. And, you know, to to make me out to be America's worst enemy, to call me what, you know, I had to write books to change my narrative. And I was fortunate. But what about those other people who can't write books to change their narrative? But even at the worst moments, Ms. Ryan, you, you were aware that you were being scapegoated by these people. I mean, you didn't ever believe. Oh, them. I was always aware. I was keenly aware. But in my awareness, I had to, to keep my family safe. Yeah. I had to act like nothing was going on so my children could learn in school and be happy and healthy and whole. While all the while I'm like trying to figure out what's what, you know, yep. it has been a, it's it, it's been an ugly moment for me in my life. And it's an ugly moment in history. And that's why it needs to be told. Exactly. And that's why the book is so uplifting, because, again, I love the interviews. I love that Keisha Lance Bottoms is here and I love that Regina King's in your book. She's been on this show. But <laughs> this whole book is a, a book for everyone. It occurred to me. It's yes, it's about black women. But this is a book for everyone, because the book at the end of the day is about finding the sheer will to keep going. And if anything, I thought that is something that links every part of the book. Yeah. It's not just for black people or black women. It's my love letter to America about the strength, the resilience in spite of for black women. And, you know, in the black community, we are welcoming to everyone. We accept everyone. And we celebrate everyone. It's time for us to celebrate ourselves. And it's time for others to read some of the things that they didn't know to say, okay, yeah, you are kind of special. But it's not saying, oh, we just celebrate for one day. It's over. We need to recognize one another and understand who we are intrinsically, who we have been, where we're going so we can figure out this thing together and get along. If I know a little bit more about you, but oh, that's what makes you special. That's your secret sauce. Okay, I get it. And then you find out a little bit about us. Oh, wow, I get it. That's your secret sauce. You're powerful people. Wow, oh my gosh. It brings a coming together, some unification. It's not saying this group over another. It's saying, okay, we've celebrated you. Now come see what we got. Come look at us. Yep. This is a book that made me not want to complain about my problems, but made me want to toughen up and find solutions. April Ryan, it is such a pleasure to thank you for your service to this country in the White House press room. Thank you for making our country smarter. And thank you for writing this book. It's called Black Women Will Save the World, an anthem. It makes an excellent holiday gift if you're in the market for that sort of thing. Yes. And it's such a (laughs) pleasure to have you. Please come back anytime here at the late hour. Oh, trust me. I'll be back. Thank you, John. Thank you so much, April. Have a great evening. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress.
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Elon Musk did delete the conspiracy theory he retweeted about Paul Pelosi. And again, he, he said the whole verification process is being revamped right now. And then he retweeted a poll about how much people should pay to keep what they've been getting for free for over a decade with his plan to charge verified users to keep the little blue check marks. Uh, he also mused to his 112 million Twitter followers yesterday about how fast he's going to change things, including uh, turning Twitter into TikTok. And he, he that's what he wants to do. New video capability to compete with TikTok, also known as I, I think we used to call it Vines in a previous decade. Oh, my God. We're at 866-997-4748, taking your calls all the way till midnight on the East Coast. Um, and I, I, I do want to bring this story up. Um, Harvard University just put out a study about loneliness in America. And you know it's widespread. You know it's widespread among adults. But now it's considered to be a public health problem. The Harvard study says that more than one in three Americans are lonely. And that goes up to 61% when you're looking at younger people, 51% among mothers who have young children. And loneliness isn't just a, a way you can feel sad. It has real consequences for your health. Loneliness can shorten your life. One analysis that Axios ran with compares the negative health effects of loneliness to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, obviously, the pandemic highlighted how bad loneliness is in America. It also made it worse. Think about all the older adults who had to isolate themselves to protect their health for a year. Think of all the children who stayed home from school. Think of all the young people in the workplace who had to move home to live with their parents. I mean, even if you have a great social life, you can still be quite lonely because it's really about the quality of our relationships, not how many freaking friends or fans or followers you have on social media. Research has linked loneliness to mental health conditions like depression and dementia, high blood pressure obesity. John Leland said in the New York Times, the human brain, having evolved to seek safety in numbers, registers loneliness as a threat. So what can we do? Well, we can pick up the phone, right? I mean, yes, it's one thing to, you know, to pick up the phone and call people. But also, you know, people feel good and connected when what they have to offer is seen as valuable and interesting. The doctors all just recommend try talking to more people. And if you haven't heard from a family member or a friend in a while, dial them up. And here's the deal. Listen to other people. Health experts all say talking to other people, but listening to other people is good for your health. If you're going through shit right now and you don't know how to handle it, 
please, please reach out. Talk to somebody. It doesn't have to solve all your problems. Talking to someone will never solve all your problems, but it helps. And I know how it feels when things get rough and you want to shut down. Please remember, you are not alone. Loneliness is a public health problem. The U.S. suicide hotline is 800-273-8255, or you can call or text anytime 988. Again, the suicide hotline is 800-273-8255, or call or text 988. We have to take a break. Reverend Barry Lynn is waiting in the wings. I'm sure he has thoughts about the stuff we've been discussing, and I'm sure he'll have the good taste to not share them. But we'll be back with the Reverend. We want to talk about the midterms. We want to have your calls at 866-997-4748. And welcome back. Reverend Barry Lynn. As an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, he served as the executive director for Americans United for the Separation of Church and State until his retirement a couple years back. Uh, he's a longtime activist and civil liberties lawyer. You may have seen him over the years on everything from PBS NewsHour to Nightline to 60 Minutes, even the O'Reilly Factor. And you've read his stuff in the L.A. Times, Wall Street Journal and The Nation and countless more. It's always a pleasure to welcome back our friend, the Reverend Barry Lynn. Hello, sir. Hello, it's always great to be on the show. Thank you very much. It's good to see even, you. Yeah, even when I have to correct things I said to you before. Okay, what did you okay. say last time? And what I, I said the last time we chatted was that I thought there would be a pickup in the Senate of three Democratic seats. That's right, and you did. And now, frankly, I think the Democrats will be lucky and the country will be lucky if it remains a 50-50 split. I didn't anticipate a couple of things. I thought what, what, what is the reason, Barry? What, what, what is the reason? Because I'll tell you something. I've been coming on here every night saying, you know, why is the media trying so badly to convince us of this? Do we believe in polling this much all of a sudden? Um, what is your take? Yeah, I mean, I, there are a couple of races. Uh, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and it's a really a much more conservative state than most people realize. I would they agree. Think of Philadelphia, and and they don't they forget that in most of the western counties in Pennsylvania, they have open carry, so you can walk in at night into the Seven Eleven to buy a piece of uh, cheesecake, and hey, you'll be Barry, three people in front of you with the guns right Barry. Out. Sometimes when it's late at night, men with very small penises get hungry and they need to go to 7-Eleven. Don't judge these men with small penises. Barry, go on. Okay. Okay. I won't do that. Um, but I, did, I didn't expect that Fetterman's problems would be as great. Now, there's some good side to this. But during the debate, he didn't do a terribly good job. And he did have a struggle speaking. Now, I've had a stroke and uh, I know what it's like when you you get out of it and you you, you get nervous whatever how am I going to sound he didn't sound that good but the good news was by early voting the day of the debate republicans had cast 143,000 votes democrats 530,000 votes. Now, that's a heck of a big difference, and it's a big difference that's going to benefit Fetterman without question. Mandela Barnes, uh, I thought he'd be easy to mop up uh, Ron Johnson, but I right. didn't know that, there, that 
Johnson campaign would have a video clip of him talking about defund the police. Now, nobody's running on the idea that you could take all the police and fire them and take away their police cars and defund them completely. The idea is just make a shift so that there are certain times when people who are who might be sending two police officers to a domestic dispute, maybe they're going to send a psychologist and a police officer. But that phrase is just deadly. It's like critical yeah. race theory or socialism. If you ask Republicans what they mean when they say they oppose these things, nine out of ten couldn't tell you. They right. couldn't tell you. But it's it sounds good. He wants to defund the police. And as soon as they found that clip, Barnes's numbers started to sink. So despite that's the bad. fact that despite the fact that <laughs> Ron Johnson is a complete imbecile and lying, corrupt weasel who has proven time and time again he has contempt for democracy. But, yeah, they found a bad clip one time. I, I, you know, I just I don't know, Barry. I, I don't know. I mean, look, <laughs> Maybe we are this dumb. Maybe America is just got to keep on punching itself in the face until it realizes punching oneself in the face isn't the way to go. <laughs> uh, we already know that when there's a high turnout, Democrats do well. When there's a low turnout, sure. Republicans do well. And I've come out here every night, Reverend, saying, look, yep. these are polls of people who answer their, fo- their, their, their landlines during dinner Absolutely. hours. People who answer their cell phones when they don't know who the caller is. That's who responds to polls, <laughs> to, to be fair. But, but yep. what about down-ballot races? Because obviously the folks in Pennsylvania... I, I think the best hope Fetterman has is that it, it, most likely there will be a Democratic governor elected Correct. in this state because the Republican candidate is quite literally a Confederate. He he owns Confederate clothing and wears it for fun. Uh, to say nothing of the fact that he's a liar and uh, hates democracy and blah 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 and complete fascist and a, and a Jew hating fascist. I could go on, um, but but the conventional wisdom is. D will do so strong at the top of the ticket that it can only help Fetterman. The flip side of that is if Kemp is beating Stacey Abrams as well as the polls seem to indicate, what does that mean for Reverend Warnock? It is. I think what's going to happen in Georgia would not surprise me at all if we had the same thing happen as two years ago. Because there is a third candidate besides Herschel Walker who I thought, in watching that debate, I thought, Herschel Walker, why is he even running? How does he think he has any competence to run, to make any decisions about foreign policy, domestic policy? Because he's gotten away with everything his entire life. He's gotten away with abusing women. He's gotten away with lying. He's gotten away with not raising his own children. He's gotten away with paying for abortions and then turning around and saying abortion is murder. So why why shouldn't he think Donald Trump, these mediocre men who are surrounded by suck ups, why shouldn't they think that they can do whatever they want? Rev, (laughs) I guess that's That must be the reason, because Herschel Walker, when he pulled that stunt of pulling out a a phony police badge, which even the police department that he cited as working with him denied that he ever had any official connection to them. Uh But these things don't seem to matter. I don't know what's going on with Stacey Abrams. I mean, she's a a heroine of mine. I, I love what she's done. But I don't know why she just isn't picking up the steam that she had in the last gubernatorial race, where many of us thought she probably won the yeah. governorship. But now 
she's way behind. I think pollsters, I have a very mixed feelings about pollsters because I, I don't trust them. There are ones that are better and there are ones that are terrible. And it right. depends on whether they're paid for by the Republicans or the Democrats. Some, some people tell you that. But the other thing I think that the Democrats have missed is a chance to go on the offensive about economics. Please. I think in the summer I, I was on with you and I said one of the things that I think every Democrat should do is run entirely against Rick Scott, the, Democrat, uh, the, the Republican senator in Florida, who says... Um, Everyone should pay taxes, so the 100 million people that don't pay taxes all of a sudden will be taxed, the biggest tax increase in history, and that he thinks every five years the Congress should vote on whether to maintain programs like Medicare and Social Security. Now, if that doesn't scare the hell out of voters, people who are close to retirement thinking maybe they'll do away with Social Security. Finally, in the last 10 days or so, I've started to notice a lot of ads in a lot of places that were consistently and perhaps appropriately talking about abortion are now talking about the Rick Scott agenda, which yeah. very few Republicans running have repudiated at all. Well, but Mitch McConnell has, though. And I mean, they're they're trying to run away from from Rick Scott's you know agenda. We just played the clip of Joe Biden talking about it today. Again, this is months after he, he pitched it. To me, this is nothing new, Reverend. I mean, the greatest failure George W. Bush had arguably in his presidency was that he failed at privatizing Social Security. They have been trying my whole life to turn this earned benefit system over to Wall Street, to essentially just let it be a big scratch-off game and and see how it goes. One of the things about the religious rights involvement this time, uh, it's a little different than it used to be, because it used to be that when you'd go to religious right gatherings, as I often did, and listen to them, they would be talking about all kinds of things that would help corporate America. And a couple of months ago, they had a big national uh, meeting of of conservative Republicans. And the basic message was, don't talk about getting rid of government. Talk about how government needs the support of Bible-believing Christians. It was that Mm. blunt. And that's what everybody, including Ron DeSantis, said. Josh Hawley, the guy who... Uh, the senator who was seen running away on January 6th uh, out of fear for something, possibly his own life. He said, you, you can't have modernity without Christianity, and you can't have progress without the Bible. That's now, right. You know, this is the kind of stuff that you expect from Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, of course, said, we should all declare ourselves Christian nationalists. And then, just to prove that she meant it, she's now selling T-shirts that say, I am a Christian nationalist. But with the exception of Mastriano, the the gubernatorial candidate we talked about in in, uh, Pennsylvania, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, now it seems like everybody who is running as an ultra-conservative, does emphasize the importance of religion as they see it, which is not the way people like you and I see it. 
Well, and that's where I'm, I'm losing my patience, Reverend. You know, you're you're great at this. Um, you're much better in, than me. I, I've been on Fox News many times. I, I can get along with these folks. But I, I, I've reached my end, Barry. Maybe it's maybe it's burying my parents who were fine Christians. But I am done with a media culture or a Democratic Party that lets these people get away with claiming their interests are Christ-based. You don't need to be a Christian. You can be an atheist. You can be any religion. You can be agnostic and agree the Republican Party actively legislates against everything Jesus ever taught. He is not their savior. He's not their teacher. He's their goddamn prop. And honestly, Reverend, I I, I can't do it anymore. I'm more angry at the media and the Democrats for seeding this ground and the way they gave Republicans the flag, the way Republicans were allowed to pretend to be patriots, even though they celebrate people who don't pay their taxes. They want more guns in our streets. They're fine with more dead children in schools because, hey, that's freedom. These people don't deserve the flag. They don't deserve the word patriot, but they really don't deserve the word Christian, Barry. I mean, no. Jerry Falwell, I I, n- nothing. You you debated no. Falwell many more times than sure. me. I, 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 I've lost my patience. I've lost my will to be gracious in this regard. Yeah, well, I don't think we have to be gracious, but I do think that the Democrats ought to understand that there's something they need to say. You don't have to be anti-religious in order to be a Democrat, but you do need to be able to articulate that you are basing the policies that you have on sound moral principles and that the only morality does not come from being a Christian or even a Jew, which was a mistake, of course, that uh, uh, John Kerry's uh, running mate from Connecticut made as soon as he was named vice president he said South Carolina. Uh, I believe yeah oh no John Kerry's was, you're, you're, yeah. oh no you mean Al Gore's running mate from Connecticut oh, oh, I'm excuse me Al Gore oh, how Sorry, quickly we forget Al Gore is uh they're a pair of winners I can see why you confuse them but go ahead <laughs> no I mean he was um you know he said the first day I remember I was on CNN at the time and they said what what do you think of his speech and his speech was just filled with religious imagery And I said, well, if he just wants to explain how he is Jewish and still a supporter of central moral premises, that's great. If he does it every day, then it's going to be a problem. And sure enough, two, three days later, I'm back on where he has just said that he thought that um, people who were religious were more moral than people who were not. Yeah. You know, I Paul Begala, who I think he, you He's know, one of our but, best Republicans, Lieberman, one of the best Republicans we ever He had. was a great Republican. And uh, Paul Begala and I, you know, I knew him pretty well when he was uh, working for the Clintons. And he, um, he used to say the dumbest things about how we have to, we can't be against guns. We have to be proud of how many guns we have. And he had a couple. And we, we have to worry about the desecration of Christmas because uh, there's so much marketing. That was a good point, but it wasn't going to deal with the so-called and totally phony war on Christmas that was being promulgated by Bill O'Reilly and other slugs who were on Fox News all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's what that's that's where I've I've reached my wall on it. You know, I I I, I want to take some callers from our listeners. By the way, sure. we are at eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. Are you feeling optimistic about anything 
leading up to these midterms, Barry, with a week to go. Well, I mean, it. Uh, you mean 50-50 split again is an optimism. I mean, the pundits all, it's over. I mean, every race that they talk about, it's done. Republicans are going to take Nevada. They're going to take uh, Georgia. They're going to take mm. even New Hampshire. But I don't see that happening at all what happens if they do barry what what happens if they do because i'm i've been talking liberals off ledges for two weeks now and honestly if they take over everything what are they going to do i mean it's not going to be any better than it was the last three times they took over the house and senate right they're they're not going to improve the lives of anybody they're not going to pass any legislation to help non-millionaires like i keep asking all these smug republicans okay what are they going to do to improve your life i haven't had a single answer and i realize this is the job of real journalists to ask this question (laughs) yes it is and very few do i mean to watch uh any of the networks even the increasingly conservative at least in my view cnn and uh, even on MSNBC, because they've got some doozies of uh, people who claim to be progressive but aren't, like Joe Scarborough, mm-hmm. but they are pounding this message in to the heads of people. So we have every reason to believe they, the polls are undercounting some things. If you look at the polls, though, of early voting polls, there's, there are, I think, five states that actually tell you not just the number of registered Democrats and Republicans, but even the gender. And there's a dramatic increase in women voting in places like uh, Texas and Louisiana. That's yeah. a good sign because the abortion question is exactly what maybe a little too much time was spent on it in the early advertising but it's so powerful and it's such a powerful message for women in particular women think it's important in the polls it comes in second or third with a lot of men they poll it as sixth or seventh of interest because men although they create every pregnancy Mm -hmm. don't frankly care about what happens to the women they might impregnate they just don't care barry i've got you a couple minutes left with you i gotta ask sure are you worried about movie theaters you know you're one of my favorite city ass and you you spend a lot more time in theaters than me because you you have freedom and you're retired and i'm a loser with a child (laughs) i never get to go unless it's a paw patrol film so so (laughs) is it looking bleak i just think that streaming has gotten so much attention well-deserved attention these are two things that I've seen. You know, we have this projector. This, Sony makes projectors. They used to be $30,000. That was too rich for my blood. Now you can get a decent projector for $2,000. You can sit there. You can get up when you want to go to the John and pause the film. Two films I saw with Joanne uh, in the last couple of days. One is uh, it's all in Comanche. Yeah. It's uh, it's a predator film. It's, it's great. a science fiction. It's one of the fiction. best movies. That, it's the first good predator movie. I loved it. It, it is, and and if you if you watch it with the subtitles, it's even better. The but next night we watched the remake of All Quiet on the Western Front, <sighs> which is a as anti-war a movie as ever was made. It was last made in 1930. Actually, it was Eric. last made. It was last made in the 70s with Richard Thomas. They did it. They and Ernest Borgnine. It, they did it, a remake in the really? 70s of it. It's quite I good. Didn't know yeah, that. quite good. 
But yeah, well, I'm this so one's really one. good. And yeah. unlike the 1930 version, it's in color. And it's really grisly. It's very hard to watch. And then our friend Frank Conniff the other day Uh-oh. wrote on his Facebook page. He said he doesn't like horror movies, but he watched a movie called Barbarian. And mm-hmm. it, I'm not going to say anything about it. It's best if you know nothing except that it's the most unique horror film I have seen in a decade. Chris, do you know this film, Barbarian? Do you vouch for this kind of extreme talk? Because I didn't know this, and I'm a horror movie fan. <laughs> uh, it is a very rare film indeed. And really? <laughs> and rare. I happen to know someone who's an actor in it. Oh, I what know. What role yes, okay. did that yes. person play? Uh, he played a, a, a neighbor who's uh, packing up and leaving the community. Oh, yes. Everyone's <laughs> very good in it. But the, the problem is. All right, it's, the on theaters, my li- it's, on, it's on my list. I just saw yeah, X, it, which is a terrific horror movie. Which it is. is uh, it is. You saw I X, saw the, that the, in the porn a movie thing? And, and yeah. you've, you've seen Nope, right? <laughs> I think Nope is a terrific horror movie. Did you Absolutely. see Nope? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Jordan Peele was very kind to Americans United for Separation of Church and State, where I was there. It's still available on YouTube if you if you type in Jordan Peele, Jane Lynch, Separation of Church and State. It's Brilliant. really, it holds up, sadly, very, very well. But the theaters, I mean, the theater experience, they're building a 10-plex about six minutes from where we live that's a, it's good a sign. very elaborate showcase deluxe they're theater. building one near me in manhattan but the cost of tickets yes, i mean I we know. went to one 3d movie this past summer in about 20 minutes away and it was in one of those theaters where in theory not only do you get the image of 3d but you also get the feelings of rocking chairs and wind comes up in your face the only problem was i've only been in one other one and they actually have to sync to what's going on in the film but this one no matter what was going on your chair would be moving back and forth and back and forth and so joanne and i ended up watching the whole movie while sitting on the steps in one of the aisles but if they don't you know if if they charge and the cost was 22 dollars uh, yeah, a piece crazy. for us seniors yeah, I believe yeah. it. The 3D IMAX, it's it's crazy. But you know what? We just had a town hall in Sirius XM earlier today. They had a t- suaded one for the cast of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Yeah, and yep. I think it might be, ironically, the big popcorn movies that help save cinemas. Reverend it's quite Barry, possible. How can our listeners follow you and keep up with your work? Yeah, well, if you go to barrywlin.com, you'll see uh, what I'm doing. I. I do, I want to say one thing. I find, I have found a publisher for my book, Paid oh, great. to Piss People Off. It's an independent press, and uh, I worked with one of its board members 30 years ago. We will promote it heavily, Barry, when it comes out. I can't wait. Please come see us again soon. We're hitting a hard break. This is Progress. Progress.